We are a community that loves like Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you. Not just today, but every time you tune in. We're continuing our sermon series called the Sermon on the Mount. And today is the beginning of the ending of this series with three sermons focusing on the law of love. For the next three weeks, I'm going to specifically walk through Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. And it reads like this. Don't even begin to think that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as long as heaven and earth exists, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything there becomes a reality. Therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to keep them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, I say to you, that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that seems like a tall order, and we're going to unpack that over the next three weeks. But before I get into this sermon, there's a discipleship dilemma that I want to present to you. And as a follower of Jesus, I want to continually ask the question of this. How does Jesus want me to live? How does he want me to carry out his purpose and his love in this world? And as a disciple of Jesus, that is what I care most about in this life. Well, I find that there's a problem, and the problem lies here. I read in the Bible that there are two different expectations that I have to fulfill. The Bible gives me this high expectation of how to live and a high expectation of obedience. So at the end of this chapter, it tells me in actually chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, that seems like a tall order to fulfill. How do I even approach this harsh, unbending expectation? But as the Bible hits us with these lofty expectations that seem impossible, there's also tolerance and forgiveness and mercy and grace that's issued as well. Jesus actually says, be merciful as God is merciful. And Jesus says, like, let those without sin cast the first stone. So there's mercy and there's grace and there's non-judgmental attitude that God has, and that he tells us that we are to have. And then there's these harsher verses, like those without sin cast the first stone, and he turns to the woman and says, go and sin no more. How is she supposed to accomplish that? Well, here we have this scripture, I say to you, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, I want to use this passage to answer the, the dilemma that I just explained to you. So back at verse 17, it tells us that Jesus came and fulfilled the law. 
which at first glance you think this actually means Jesus came and fulfilled rules because law is a set of rules to live by and abide by. But this actually is a Jewish way of saying that Jesus came and not just fulfilled a set of rules, but he fulfilled the entire Old Testament and the prophecy, it says, that was written. Jesus fulfilled the Old Covenant. So somehow in how Jesus was born and how Jesus lived and how Jesus died and how Jesus was resurrected, somehow this all fulfills the hopes of the Old Testament and the hopes of Israel. The hopes of basically a victorious covenant, the hopes of the true promised land, the hopes that the nations promised to Abraham would have victory and creation would be restored. And the greatest hope is that there would be union with God. Well, in Romans 10, starting in verse 4, it says this, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And in Galatians 3, in verse 23, it says this, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being confined for the faith that was destined to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our guardian to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, or we're no longer under the law. So the law was like a temporary sign. It was a guiding principle. It was actually a sign to point us to a sense of well-being and life. It was a sign to point us to Christ. Well, I think the main difference between what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5 and what Paul was saying in Romans and Galatians is the writing of Jesus. Jesus is speaking more grandiose in his speaking, in his speak. Paul could be basically speaking in specifics and Jesus in generalities. So I do believe that Jesus is speaking about the entire Old Testament and the prophets and everything in the Old Covenant. So Paul is, in his writing, is going after legalism that has infiltrated the church. He's speaking to people that were hustling the rules and making sure that people felt still under the grip of guilt and shame when they broke the law. So hence, Paul speaks in, let's say, finality with the law, where it's literally abolished or it comes to an end. Well, now with Jesus, justification takes place in a different way. In the Old Testament, it took place in a certain way, and now it takes place through Jesus. See, Jews believe that justification took place when you kept a set of rules, that you were declared righteous through keeping the law. Now we have this different movement that we live in, where Jesus is declare, has declared that we are justified victoriously through him. And because of our faith, that justification is placed on us. It is given to us as a free gift. Well, this is an entirely different look at how to be saved. In the Old Testament, you were saved by what you did. Now in the New Testament, supposedly, now in the New Testament, we see we're justified by faith. But of course, old habits die slow. And we oftentimes in our legalism put obedience above love. And we forget that love reigns supreme in the Jesus way of life. 
But the nature of human nature is we need rules and we need boundaries and we need expectations and we need obedience. We need to keep ourselves and others in line and we need to toe the line. That's the nature of human nature, that if you break the rules, you're wrong. But in the Jesus way of life, love reigns supreme. And so if you break a rule, you're given grace and you're given forgiveness. Well, in verse 20, it says in Matthew 5, it says this, I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what am I supposed to do with that? Well, Jesus mentions the Pharisees, which are the teachers of Jewish traditions and the teachers of the law. And one thing that we have to understand is Jesus didn't look too fondly on these people and their behavior, how they usurped authority over people, how they held people to conditions and obedience that, were, that, that couldn't be met, how they were steeped in rule-keeping and, and holding the law over people's heads. They were truly hypocrites in their behavior. And in Matthew 23, it shows how Jesus felt about the Pharisee in verse 27, Matthew 23, 27, how terrible... How terrible it will be for the legal experts and the Pharisees. He just calls them out and says, hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs. They look beautiful on the outside, but inside they're full of dead bones and all kinds of filth. In the same way, you look, you, you look righteous, righteous to people, but inside you are full of pretense and rebellion. Well, that's a scathing accusation of who they are and what they are about. I would hate that to be spoken over me. You're just a hypocrite. Well, they can, they can keep the rules, but they're missing the point of the rules. That's what Jesus is saying. You're not faithful. You're not, you're, you're not merciful or just. You're missing the deeper point, which creates dead bones. You're dead on the inside. You're pretty on the outside but you're just empty. Well, we have all experienced this dead feeling of legalism. And I, I just picked out some new, very important, I think, legalistic tendencies that our pharisaical behavior boils up inside. We actually live these out in our modern culture. And so some things, old habits don't die quick, right? So some things we've just we just haven't been able to break free from, and we need to break free into more of a freedom in Christ. So the first one that I picked out was reframing legitimate questions back into a faith issue. And we as, we as Christians are notorious for doing this. If somebody's having a problem or if they question something in faith or they're wrestling with God, let's say depression, well, that's not real. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an oppression or that's a, that's a possession. Satan's a possession, right? You just need more faith. And so we take somebody's depression and they're wrestling emotionally and we turn it into a faith issue. Or science and Christianity. Why can't they coexist? And we start questioning. Let's say we're wrestling through science and Christianity, science and our faith. And, and can they coexist? Well, you just need more faith. So we turn somebody's legitimate question into a faith issue. Or let's say somebody's struggling with their sexuality. You just need more faith. Or let's say somebody's struggling with contradictions that they see in the Bible. You just need more faith. So when we take legitimate questions and legitimate challenges that we're wrestling through 
and we just impose on people, you just need more faith. That is legalism. Well, the second one that I picked out is if there's no room for respectful disagreement. Let's say you have two different political stances in the same room. Haven't experienced that, right? So two different political stances. If you don't believe you can be a liberal or you don't believe you can be a conservative and still be a Christian, or if you hold to two different views on any subject. We live in a world right now in our society that if you hold a different view on a subject, sometimes you are shamed right out the door. And if you can't sit in a room and have a respectful disagreement, there's some legalism going on inside of our hearts that needs to be corrected. And we need to, we need to turn away from that kind of disrespectful disagreement behavior. Well, number three, when we focus on the failing of people with lower standing or what we perceive as lower standing. So for example, when women's modesty is elevated more than men's lust, well, that's a legalistic stance of seeing women as lower. So we need to do away with that kind of legalistic pharisaical behavior. Well, number four, when we judge people by the content of their theology, versus the content of their character. So knowing people in my ministry that had all the best theology, but they had no character. They were manipulative, unfaithful, they lied. They were just plain mean. So when we elevate theology above character, that's a sign of legalism. Well, number five and last one, when people in the margins are not invited to the table, and this is a big one. Jesus invited notorious sinners those that were in the margins, those that were outside the in crowd, he invited those people to the table. So when the unsheltered, the refugee, the poor, the non-native English speaker, the non-neurotypical, the non-heteronormative, the non-white people are not given the opportunity to receive friendship, to receive love, and to receive communion in the church, this is a sign of legalism. Well, in our human condition, and the reason why we get wrapped up in these legalistic tendencies is there's a temptation to hold on to the rules that makes us more homogenous because it's easier to hang out with people acting like us and behaving like us and looking like us. It's easier to hang out with people just like us because we don't have to be challenged to think differently, or we don't have to be challenged. We're, we're in our isolation chamber, our cone of everyone thinks the same, acts the same, behaves the same type of mentality. And so it, there's a temptation to hold on to legalism to keep things the same. Well, when we are faced with trying to live life without rules, though, and only through the lens of grace, when is there in terms of, like, when do we put expectations or obedience in place? Because there's other scriptures that tell us to be obedient. So what is my obedience in this? Because it's not legalism. So what is obedience or, or what are healthy expectations? Well, there's a simple tool that I have always used that determines a lot of my behavior and my expression of theology, but also I try to teach the church this tool, and that's the practice of the filter of the law of love. So if I think my expression, if I think of my expression like a funnel, and what I put in the top 
if it makes it through the filter of the law of love, then I am obedient to Jesus and his purpose. If I hold something over somebody's head that doesn't make it through the filter of the law of love, where it is a legalistic tendency, I am not obedient to Jesus and his purpose. So kicking somebody out of the church does not make it through the law of love. Judging somebody where they are shamed and there's no friendship to work out differences, that does not make it through the law of love. Treating somebody unequally, like they're less than, or not giving them opportunity or equitable um, opportunities, does not make it through the law of love. So we must think about this, that most of our rule-keeping and boxes we put people in, in the church as a Christian community, most of the time, those things don't make it through the law of love. Love reigns supreme in Jesus' way of life. So the Pharisees are the ones who made the law of laws without any love. So I think there's a lot of work to be obedient, that we have a lot of work to do in our character, in our insides, in our, in our self-evaluation, to be obedient to love over obedience to rule-keeping. And I think the church has failed at this purpose and at this charge. And I thought this week about why. Why has that happened? Well, in sociology, there are several ways to respond to crisis. And one way is to minimize the crisis. So when you're faced with somebody doing something or acting out or you're doing something or you're acting out, we tend to minimize that crisis. You don't think it's a big deal or you actually downplay it or maybe you compartmentalize and I'm not going to think about that right now. That is a very unhealthy response to crisis, especially if it's just never addressed. I understand putting something to the side or let's not, let's not focus on that right now, but eventually we have to focus on and not minimize a crisis. Well, another way to respond to crisis or behavior is to catastrophize it, meaning that you make it a bigger deal than the crisis actually is. You whip it up and you make it the most important issue of that moment in time. And this is also a very unhealthy response to crisis. So minimizing something or to catastrophizing something, both unhealthy responses to behavior or acting out or crisis. And you see this all the time in our society right now, minimizing and catastrophizing. And the church has done this for years. When it comes to someone that makes a mistake or confesses a sin, it depends on where they are in leadership. A lot of times in leadership, we minimize that crisis because we want that person to stay in leadership. And so we just downplay what they're doing. Or maybe we minimize because we want to keep somebody, let's say, in the church. We minimize what they're doing. Well, when we minimize somebody's behavior or we minimize anyone's actions or their crisis, it shows that we don't care about that person. Well, in the opposite sense, catastrophizing it and making it a big deal and like parading somebody across the stage and, and whipping up their behavior, that doesn't show that we care about the person either. So the challenge that we face is most of the things that Jesus talks about 
in our behavior and how we are to act and our sin versus faithfulness or our obedience or the holy deeds that we are to carry out in life. They're very interpersonal. Our behavior as called out by Jesus is, has everything to do with relationships. So what happens when we face a sin or what happens when we face a crisis? Well, we're actually facing a person, either yourself or another individual. When we face a crisis or, or a behavior, that is a person. And yes, we can minimize it and catastrophize it, but that means we don't really love that person. We need to be mindful and to think about love first over anything. How can I love this person and care for what they are going through? If somebody's acting out in a behavior that you might not agree with, maybe they're in pain. Maybe they're experiencing something of confusion or maybe something's happening in their home that they're scared and they're acting out in fear or acting out in anger or or acting out in, in let's say, let's say a, a, a series of abuse that they've, they've endured. Maybe we need to approach people with questions and maybe approach somebody with the question, uh, are you okay? Is everything okay? And to actually love this person. Well, the Pharisee didn't care about any of that. They were the ultimate rule keeper, the catastrophizer of those who broke them. And you were definitely out of the game and benched or kicked off the team if you broke the rules. And so to reach this level of righteousness, this perfect rule keeping, was actually impossible. And Jesus knew that when he spoke verse 20. I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So this sense of righteousness is not by keeping more rules. You can't attain the sense of righteousness by keeping more of a perfect obedience. This only can come from God. Having that relationship with Jesus that speaks the consistent voice to you, that Jesus loves you and accepts you. And then Jesus looks at us and tells us to love and accept others. And that is the greatest commandment. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the law of love. Help us to love others as you have loved us so deeply, accepted us so generously, given us grace and mercy. Lord, you have called us to be obedient to love. Help us to love others the same. Lord, thank you for your grace and your forgiveness that washes us clean that we can stand before you and be declared this righteousness. Lord, that you, that you died on a cross. Lord, you resurrected so that we can live today, live that life of freedom and live that life of love. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.